0: Everybody, this morning. Thankful for this new day, and it is a beautiful day out there. Hopefully, we'll continue up this fine weather for the next few days. Perhaps not. But the most exciting thing of all has already happened today. Kendall and Debbie moved over here. (laughs) You were shamed. I didn't realize what a big deal it was until everybody started clapping. (laughs) No, it's a blessing to have this day, and I'm thankful for these morning sessions. We have a good crowd here today, and I'll invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be taking a look at some things that are very helpful to me, and I hope that they are to you as well. Okay, who watched the news this morning? Show of hands, who watched the news this morning? Oh, come on, more of y'all watched the news than that. Richard says, no, I didn't. (laughs) Those of you who didn't are smarter than the rest of us. I'll I'll tell you that, but um, our news is just absolutely depressing. You never watch the morning news and say, that was so uplifting, I feel strengthened. I feel bolstered in my faith. I can face the day so much better now because I know about this shooting and I know about this political problem and I know about this circumstance in the world that's a terrible situation. Not a one of us walks away from that and feels like we're better servants of God as a result of it. And the the morning news is just another sample of what we have known our entire lives and that is we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin has such sway that in the New Testament, the devil is even called the God of this world. Now, he's not God. He's God with quotation marks around it, but he does have a lot of of, uh, control, a lot of influence over people in the world. And his control over people in the world, is that because he forces people to do things? No, it's because he entices and people give in and people go along. And so the wickedness of the world. The world has been broken ever since Genesis 3. When the first sin entered the world, the brokenness that we face today had its beginning. And we see the trials and tribulations of of man and of woman both being discussed in that passage. We see the continual conflict between humanity and Satan That is being described there. But you know what? Right there in the middle of it. While we know it's a broken world. We still see that there is hope. There is hope. Because God would send his son. And his son would be the remedy for sin. The source of redemption. The way of forgiveness. And hope eternal. Now I'm going to be very plain with you today. Jesus did not come to fix this broken world so that the world would become a better place. He did not come for that reason. He came to redeem lost sinners from the broken world and make us citizens not of this earth but citizens of the kingdom of heaven so that we can live in a broken world with hope that this is not all there is. There is so much more. And we anticipate that eternity as we look to him. Now, For the next three days, we're going to talk about how that in a broken world, in a fallen world, we still can have firm faith, a solid footing for life, and a solid footing for eternal hope. And you recall the the parable that Jesus told about the wise and the foolish man, and the wise man built his house on the rock, and the foolish man built his house on the sand, and that's the contrast we're talking about these next three days. We're going to talk about having our feet firmly planted on the rock, the rock of Jesus, the rock of His Word, the rock of being a part of His church, which is founded upon Himself as the bedrock foundation to give us the strength and the hope that we have, even though we live in a fallen world. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few days. And we're going to begin with talking about how that we have firm footing. For our faith, because Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Luther Blackman used to say, or at least Elmer Moore told me he used to say it, and Brother Leon probably knows this better than I do, used to say that that Jesus was God as God is, and man as man ought to be. Now today we're going to talk about how that Jesus is God as God is. And tomorrow we're going to talk about him being man as man ought to be. And then on Wednesday we're going to notice that how that the divine human Jesus is the source of promise and hope as we live in this fallen world. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 1. Let's read just a little bit. Verse 1. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And we'll read some more as we continue on. But I want us to notice he makes mention of how that in the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, the Father's not the only one involved. Jesus is involved too. Take a look at verse 2, where we see that Jesus is creator. It says, through whom also he made the world. Now, you know John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And then it turns its attention to him being our source of spiritual light and our source of spiritual life. But in verse 14, we see the Word became flesh. This divine person became a human being. And again, that's tomorrow's lesson. But when Jesus is called the Word, he is the one who was involved in the creation of the universe. That's what Hebrews 1 is telling us. That's also what Colossians 1 tells us, if we were to run a bunch of cross references. But Jesus is creator. And I know a lot of times in popular culture, people think of Jesus in his conception and birth to the Virgin Mary. Well, that's the start of his human life. But his pre existence went through eternity past. Because God has no beginning, and God has no end. And that's what makes it possible for Jesus to be creator of all those things that do have a beginning and an end. That is this material universe in which we live. And so he is the creator. We come down to verse 10 and it says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. Notice Jesus as creator. He made the earth and everything in it. And he made the universe and the stars and the planets and so forth. He's the maker of those things. And think about how powerful Jesus is to be able to speak Genesis 1. And again, he's called the word in John 1. To be able to speak and creation one thing at a time comes into existence because the creator beckons for it to be so. When we talk about Jesus, he is our firm footing in a world where so many things have fallen because he precedes the fallenness as the creator of all things good. Just as God said in Genesis 1, at the end of everything he made, he said that it was good. And that's what Jesus did. He made all things good as creator. But another aspect of his divinity that we find as we look at this is he is the radiance of God's glory. So notice as, as we read a moment ago in verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature the exact representation of the nature of his Father. So when you look at Jesus, you in a sense are looking at the Father. We're not going to turn there, but referencing back to the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a little further down it says no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So in his very existence, even here on earth, he was the the radiance of the glory of his Father and showed himself to be God as God is. and, And God, like his Father, is also divine. And as he showed himself to be those things, when we look at him who came to this world in the fashion that he did, We are looking at a divine person who shows us exactly who God is so we can know God for what he is. Now, I'm going to say a little more about this tomorrow, but just a a little advance, and that is when people saw Jesus walking and talking and living the human life that he did, they saw what God looks like walking around living as a man. They were seeing what God looks like. And when you and I read in the pages of the New Testament and we behold Jesus, we are seeing who God is because that's what Jesus came to be and to reflect, to be divine himself and to reflect the glory of his Father that he would go back to before too long. Next, I want us to notice that Jesus is God's son. We take a look at verse uh, 3, the end of verse 3, and we'll read a little bit further. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things with the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels... As he has inherited a more excellent name than they. You see, angels do not wear the name of being God. But Jesus wears the name of being God. Now, now human beings, we're made a little lower than the angels. But Jesus is greater than the angels. Because by nature, he is divine. By nature, he has more glory than angels. And what does he say? Verse 5. To which of the angels did, did he, did the father ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he brings the firstborn into the world, there's the incarnation. There's the birth of Jesus. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Now, my friends, if the angels of God are supposed to worship Jesus, then what's the necessary implication? Sir? We are too. too. (laughs) That's right. If the angels of God worship him, then we're to worship him too. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But as you look at Jesus and you see that he's the son of God, understand whenever Jesus is called God's son, It is saying more than he just has a relationship with God. Okay, now, I have friends, and they uh, adopted a child. As far as genetics go, that child is not connected to either one of them. This child is adopted. Now, they love that child with every fiber of their being. That is just as much their child as if it uh, were physically born from their genetic uh, circumstance, but the child is not. Later on, they had a child naturally and it is genetically connected to both of them. Now, while the second child is going to have some genetic markers and probably some physical features that make that child look like the parents, that other child is just as much their child. Well, folks, when Jesus has called God the Son, That tells us that when it comes to his nature, he has the stamp of God because he is, like the Father, a divine person. And those of us who become God's children through faith in Jesus, we are God's children too. But while we develop characteristics, we take on the divine nature in that way, 2 Peter chapter 1, We are never going to be God. We are never going to be divine beings. And thus, a very rough and and crude and not complete illustration of what we're talking about when we compare God the Son to the Father and us who are adopted into God's family. Romans chapter 8, to be sons and daughters of God. Turn with me over to John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. We're not going to go outside much in our study today. There's so much in Hebrews that we don't, um, we won't have time for a lot of that. But in John chapter 5, and beginning with verse 18, it says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. The Jewish leaders were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, which... I would contend he wasn't, but anyway. He was breaking the Sabbath, that was their view of him anyway, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, I'd contend they were right about that. <laughs> now part of, that, part of that's false accusation, but that part is the truth. When Jesus called God his father, he was saying more than you and I are saying. When we say God is our father, we're saying that God sent His Son to redeem us from our sins so we could be purchased by the blood and adopted into God's family as God's sons and daughters. We will never be divine beings like God. We will be children of God adopted into the family of God. But God the Son, He has the very nature of God Himself because He Himself, like the Father, and by the way, like the Holy Spirit, is God. He is divine. And thus, what they saw or what they heard when he said those things, that's exactly right. You go back to Hebrews chapter 1, and when it describes him as being the son of God and God being a father to him, it is his divine nature that's being emphasized because in the text in Hebrews chapter 1, what does it say? It says the angels are to worship him. Because he's God's son, the angels are to worship him. Uh, Who do we worship other than God? nobody nobody so jesus has to be divine because he's worthy of worship and even worthy of worship by beings who have a higher nature than we worship by the angels let me make a just a passing comment about that i've actually uh, heard of people i've never heard anybody personally say this but i have really good friends who have uh, have actually said you know what we we can only We can only worship the Father. We can't worship the Son. Well, the angels are worshiping him, according to Hebrews chapter 1. And by the way, when in the New Testament it says that that we're to be a people speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and then it says that we're making melody in our heart to the Lord, in Ephesians... Every single verse, you know who the word Lord always is applied to? It's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Now, is that a good description for the Father? It sure is. But in the, in the letter to the Ephesians, that is always talking about Jesus. Every single time. In fact, in Ephesians 4, we're real familiar with this one. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 6, it says uh, that there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all and right above that what does it say there is one lord there's one lord oh but wait a minute then there's also one god and father their lord is jesus and the father is differentiated from him in that way and then one chapter later when we sing those songs of praise singing to jesus is absolutely appropriate And let's see, can we think of one more place where Jesus is worshipped in song? Drew seems to be teaching a book about right now, or or are you already through with it? (laughs) You're almost through with Revelation. Chapter 21, Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is worshipped, and the Father is worshipped. And when Jesus is called the Son of God, it tells us he is a divine person and he is worthy of worship. And again, that's emphasized in what we read just a moment ago. So as God's Son, he is divine. As God's Son, he has authority. As God's Son, he is superior to angels. And as God's Son, he is worthy of worship. That's who we're talking about. When we're talking about Jesus. But not only is he God's son and, and worthy of worship. Oh, wait a minute. I actually have that on, <laughs> on a little piece of the chart, don't I? Not only is that the case, but we also see that Jesus is the omega of creation. Now, what, what's the other end of omega? Alpha. Alpha is what? The first what? First letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is? It's the last. (laughs) So we've already noticed Jesus is the alpha of the creation because he's creator. He is also the one who will bring it to its conclusion when creation is through. Come down to verse 10. Let's read a little further. Actually, let's go up to verse... um, verse 8 and let's start there but of the son he says your throne O god here plainly calls jesus god is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions we'll talk about that tomorrow and you lord In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they, the created things, they will all become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same. Your your years will not come to an end. Jesus is not only creator of the universe, Jesus is the culminator of the universe. When it is time for all things to be destroyed by fire, 2 Peter chapter 3, the one who will lead the charge will be Jesus. And thus we see he begins it, and we see that he ends it, and we see that he is God as a result of that. But this idea of Him being the the end of creation is also speaking to our accountability to Him. We will face Him in the day of judgment. And when judgment happens, the culmination of the human existence will be, at least from an earthly point of view, to give an account to Him and then to be separated out to heaven and to hell. And so Him being the end of creation speaks to those things as well. The next one I want to mention to you is that he is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Again, in verse 12, creation may may be temporary, but your years will not come to an end. We see the eternal nature of Jesus. Now, we are going to look elsewhere just just a little bit for this. But as we consider the eternal nature of Jesus, what is God called more than anything else in the Old Testament it is the primary designation for God in the Old Testament scriptures it's found thousands of times and if somebody said anything I didn't hear it (laughs) yes Yahweh or Jehovah Yahweh or Jehovah God is called that. More times in the Old Testament than he is any other thing. Now that term Yahweh or Jehovah it has a lot of significance to it. And it's properly described in a lot of different ways. One of the ways it's described is it is the covenant name of God. It is the covenant name of God. God who called Israel and blessed Israel to be in covenant with him. That is the name by which he is referred when that is under discussion. The term Yahweh also has to do with the eternal existence of God. And in some ways means the existing one. And that's why, turn back to Exodus chapter 3. That's why in Exodus chapter 3 when God appears to Moses in in the burning bush... There are different descriptions God gives of himself. And what a a wonderful story this is that we don't have time to to look at in complete detail. But I want you to notice, first of all, that it says in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. So first of all, this being is called the angel of the Lord. We come down a little bit further, and in verse 4, when the Lord saw. Angel of the Lord, verse 2, but the Lord saw he turned aside to look it says God called to him so the angel of the Lord the Lord God and a little further down in the text come down with me to verse uh, 13 then Moses said to God behold I'm going to the sons of Israel I'm going to Egypt and I'm you're telling me to go to liberate them so uh, I will say to them the God of your fathers has sent me now what, what may I, what, now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Their God's the I am. Then we go a little bit further. Verse 15, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, here's some combination language, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Now, there's a lot going on there that we're not going to be able to to discuss in detail. But let's start with the word Lord. Going back up to verse 4, how does the word Lord look in in your Bible? It's capitalized. All four letters are capitalized. Now, I know the L is bigger, but the O-R-D are also capitalized. They're just capitalized smaller, so it doesn't look weird in your Bible, I guess, for us English-speaking folks. But it's capitalized. Now, whenever you see the word Lord capitalized in your Bible, what, what's the actual word behind that? It's Yahweh or Jehovah. Every single time, it's Yahweh or Jehovah so the covenant name of God the God who says you tell them the I am sent you and since Yahweh has some reference to the idea of him being the existing one not the one who used to live or the one who will live but the one who lives without beginning and without end that's how we are seeing God being described in this passage Now, with that in mind, turn over to John Chapter Eight. John Chapter Eight. And in John Chapter Eight, come down to verse fifty seven. Almost to the end. Again, we could look at a lot more than we're going to have time to do. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Uh, What's the answer to that question? Yes. (laughs) He has seen Abraham. He has seen Abraham. He saw Abraham. He saw Moses. He saw Adam. He's seen everybody. You're not yet 50 years old. You're a a young 30-something-year-old whippersnapper. And and you've seen Abraham? Yeah, I have, because there's more to Jesus than his 30-something-year human life. He has an eternal nature, too. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, verse 58, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What was the reaction of the Jewish leaders at that point? They want to stone him. Now, why do they want to stone him when he said that? If I were to come up to you and say, Now, now, uh, before my children were born, I am. You'd say, so? <laughs> so what? Why did they want to stone him when he said though that phrase? He is saying He is God. He is saying, listen, let me remind you of our history. Our history as Jewish people is we go back to Abraham, but we also go back to Moses. And in the burning bush passage, when Moses said, now what will I tell them that your name is God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What will I tell them that your name is? He said, you tell them my name is. I am who I am. Tell them that the I am sent you that the eternally existing one with no beginning and with no end the one who is outside of time that Yahweh has appeared among you and they knew that's exactly what Jesus was telling them with that phrase in verse 58 and thus they want to stone him to death When you talk about Jesus, you're talking about Jehovah. Because like the Father, He has that very same nature. Let me make one more point. And this is one of those where there may be exceptions to it, but this is is a general rule. A general rule. So, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, Of course, the Old Testament was primarily originally written in Hebrew. The Hebrew Old Testament had this term, Yahweh, um, thousands of times in it, okay? But when they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, what was that translation called? The Septuagint. The Septuagint. The primary text that Jesus and the apostles used and quoted from was actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It was actually the Septuagint. Now, not knowing Greek and not knowing Hebrew, I rely on those who know those languages to be able to make that statement. Okay? So look it up. <laughs> Shana, don't trust you on that. Okay, don't trust me. Look it up. But that, but that, is, that is the case from, from those who know the languages. Okay? Now... Just take a really wild guess. When that term Yahweh or Jehovah was translated into Greek, guess which word they translated it with? It was the Greek word for Lord. It was the Greek word for Lord. And by the way, it's the very same Greek word for Lord that Jesus has called over and over again and over again in the New Testament. By the very use of the Greek word kurios, or Lord, to describe Jesus, people who read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which, again, that's the main thing they had, they had um, uh, ability to, to have access to, it was the very same Greek word in all those places where the term Yahweh would have been in Hebrew. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? When Jesus is called the Lord in the New Testament, there's more to it than him just being the ruler. He is the covenant God, the God of the Old Testament, who along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who all, by the way, are Yahweh, that is the family name of God, working together with him throughout eternity, through the Old Testament into the New And then what does God do? This is tomorrow's lesson. God comes clothed in human flesh. God becomes a man. And God lives on this earth. Because God can't die and God can't redeem us unless God takes on the nature of being human to fulfill all of those things. Yahweh comes to be our true king. And to lead us through his sacrifice and through his resurrection to eternal life with him in heaven. And by the way, I am fully convinced that when God appears as the angel of the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, that that's actually the second person of the Godhead. That that's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus who appears in that form in in that way. If you want to talk about that privately, I'd be glad to. But I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced of that from a number of things, including what we've talked about so far today. So Yahweh means the existing one. God is called the I Am in that passage where He is also called Yahweh, and thus we see that about Him. Now, one more, then we're going to conclude, and that is Jesus is God's ultimate expression of grace. Back in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus is God's spokesman to whom we must listen. In Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 3, we see that when he made purification for sins, and so there it talks about his death upon the cross to redeem us from our sins. So Jesus is God's ultimate expression of grace because he is the sacrifice. He is God who sacrificed himself in order that he might redeem humanity being one with us, so that he might redeem us unto himself. And remember what we've quoted in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And then it says that we have received grace for grace, but it says that while the law came through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, there's grace and truth, Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation. There's grace and truth all the way through. But in the Old Testament, there were expressions of grace and truth that were hinting at the ultimate expression of God's grace and truth. And that came when Jesus came. He is the fullness of everything God was working toward the entire time. And this divine person becoming man to redeem humanity is God himself making that his project to reclaim lost sinners and give us eternal hope. I tell you, we live in a fallen world, but what a Savior we have. God came to save us, and his name is Jesus. I find this very interesting, so let me kind of pull everything we've talked about together in one way. And that is, we've looked at the six different descriptions of Jesus, which talk about his divine nature in Hebrews chapter 1. He's creator. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is God's son who is worthy of worship. And then we just blew up. Oh, that was going to be really good, too. You should be very disappointed right now. Drew, you have any idea what just happened? Neither do I. Let me look up here and see. I probably messed something up. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe that... Um, plug-in down there was not plugged in and um, my computer ran out of juice so hey I've got it plugged in I just (laughs) didn't make sure it was turned on okay so let's do it this way Roman numeral one he's creator you can look at your sheet it's all on there Roman numeral two he's the radiance of God's glory Roman numeral three he's (laughs) God's son worthy of worship but now notice what number four does number four pairs with him being creator he is the creator number one and he is the conclusion the omega of the creation roman numeral four roman number two he's the radiance of god's glory but roman numeral five or Roman number six rather they go in a different order he is god's ultimate expression of grace the radiance of god's glory the ultimate expression of god's grace and then roman number roman three he is god's son who is worthy of worship but wait a minute Roman number five, he is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. And Jehovah is eternally worthy of worship. When you talk about Jesus, that's who we are talking about. And in a fallen world in which we live, what hope we have. Because, folks, we serve the divine Son of God. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The King from heaven who came to earth to show us what it means to honor God and to give us salvation that only God can provide. What a Savior we have. Now, there's a great old hymn that I'm sure you sing a lot here just like we do at home. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Did it come back on? No, it didn't. Oh. My cover page came on. I don't even know what I don't even know what's going on around here anymore. <laughs> So, thank you so much for your, for your kind attention today. I, I hope you find that as, as helpful as, as I do in my faith. And tomorrow, when we talk about the humanity of Jesus, with hopefully that not happening again, <laughs> we'll see some things that will help us in that way as well. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you so much for coming, and then we'll be concluded. Gracious Father, what a gift it is that you have given us this day, you've given us this opportunity, and you've given us so many people who love you, who are able to come together this morning and meditate on your son and on the great gift he is for humanity. We thank you, Father, for your willingness to send him, and we thank you for his willingness to come, and how that when we look at Jesus as we read about him in the Word that we can see him for who he is and we can serve him and you by following what he has revealed. We pray for your strength in this world with so many struggles that we face that you will help us to always look to you and to live for you and to draw the strength that comes from you and forgive us where we fall short. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.